1: Hello and welcome to the Publicly Challenged Podcast. I'm your host, Luke Oswald, and I hope you join me on my quest for knowledge to become a better public land hunter, angler, and forager. Stick with this, and who knows, maybe we will learn something together. Alright, real quick before we get started on the show, I'm just going to talk about Treeline Academy. You've heard me say it. I can't even tell you how many times. Uh, Mark Levesay is treelineacademy.net. That's treelineacademy.net. Sign up. Use the promo code PC2020. Save yourself 20 bucks. Can't say it enough. It's awesome. Amazing. Most comprehensive e-scouting course out there. Check it out for yourself. Sign up. Use promo code PC2020. And now let's get to the show. All right, so I'm sitting here and I am talking to Miss Jana Waller. And uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit?
2: Sure. Um, Thank you for the intro, Jana Waller. I host Skullbound Chronicles. Um, I used to host for nine years Skullbound, which was my TV show on Sportsman's Channel, but then last year went. Um, well, actually, two years ago, I kind of dabbled with being on Sportsman's as well as digital on Carbon TV, and then last year made the jump to 100% digital. Um, I have uh, it is called Skullbound because I'm a skull artist. I bead and paint skulls for well, what used to be for fun. Now it's work. And when you know when they say when that happens, your work's not as much fun anymore. And it does find it does get a bit stressful because I don't have as much studio time as I would really like. Um, I do totally produce my own show now, and uh, I've been super-duper busy with that. But yeah, it's been a total blessing to be in the hunting industry for the last decade, and uh, I've met some incredible people. I've got some crazy stories, and this is going to be a fun podcast.
1: (laughs) So you know how you know you're from Wisconsin when you say things like (laughs) super-duper?
2: well that or uh or cripes
1: yeah
2: yeah, or only cry she chop like one (laughs) big word right so
1: so I gotta ask you though so um you said you kind of switched all towards digital and it kind of makes me think did you see like a pivot in the industry to where you wanted to go that direction you wanted to change be ahead of them what what was kind of your process behind that because I find it interesting because it one of the last hunting shows I watched on TV, I don't watch a lot of hunting shows. I do stream every now and then and do like the whole mm-hmm. Carbon TV app, but it was one of the ones where you were at some lodge somewhere, some extravagant lodge elk hunting. And it was like, With one a veteran. Of, maybe, I don't remember. It was so long ago. It was a long time ago. Like four or five years. Well, the reason
2: ago. I the reason I say with a veteran is I'm I'm rarely at those fancy dancy <laughs> joints. Um, <laughs> fancy is also a Wisconsin thing. I'm I'm rarely at those. Um, once in a while, but typically I I am um, when I do my veteran hunts. So I do a lot of uh, combat veteran hunts. I shouldn't say a lot. M- I, someday I would strictly love to do just that. But at least one or two a year. Um I've got another one coming up I, an elk hunt in Wyoming with an incredible outfit R&K Outfitters out of well they're out of Utah and Wyoming and all over but this one is out of Wyoming and um but if if you didn't yeah if you I also hunt there myself but I typically take Combat Veterans there because it's a very accessible elk hunt. Yes. And um you know even though it's still a hardcore you are going to be putting on the miles I've taken Eric Alvin, who's a triple amputee. I took him there, got him his first bull. Um, you know, it's just an incredible place, but yeah, that is, that was probably my, you probably saw then how, how long ago, a couple of years ago,
1: probably yeah, three, four years ago, maybe like I, I haven't yeah. watched or maybe even longer than that. I don't know. Like yeah. I have not well, watched.
2: I'm old. It's okay. You can say <laughs> it. <It's, laughs> I, uh, I've actually was on sportsman's for nine years. So, you know, and it's funny as time ticks on, the seasons just completely blend together. You know, like I could not tell you what's, what episode is on what season. Um, I can tell you individual, like if someone says, Oh, it's when you killed that nice buck in Wyoming. Well, I might be able to pinpoint that down. But when we talk about my veteran hunts, those are super near and dear to my heart. And I could, if you described the, you know, the veteran, Oh, he's a triple amputee or double amputee or, Oh, it was you know, Dom in Montana. I can definitely talk about those <laughs> hunts a little bit with, with more specifics. But yeah, I went digital because I did see a shift. Um I saw a shift in um people cutting their cable cords. It doesn't mean that all you know uh TV is a bad thing. Um, you know, whether you're talking outdoor sportsmen, um, you know, it still can be a really good fit for some people. For me, I just felt like I I saw the viewership, not what it was in the beginning of the decade that I started on Sportsman's channel. I also, um, I just feel like obviously TV is changing. You know, we all used to have cable TV, right? And then it was, oh, you either had direct or dish. And then it was one of the conglomerates of cable companies that you had. Well, then in the last, I would definitely say the last three or four years, I've seen a shift where people are streaming everything, right? They're cutting their cable cords. They still have Netflix, Amazon, whatever. And, and I just, and it's an easier format. And then especially when I split from Jim, who was my ex-boyfriend, producer, cameraman, editor, we were kind of a two-man band. <laughs> it was just a lot easier for me to produce a digital series because it's just simply not as complicated. I don't have to stick to the stringent 22 and a half minutes or however many... You know commercials that you own within your own show. Um, I could put out as many episodes as I wanted, as little as I wanted. Um, I could make them five minutes, ten minutes. I could do cooking segments. I, I last year, thanks to COVID, I put out a "Make Camping Great Again" episode, which I think is. I did watch really, a couple actually. of those. <laughs> You'll have to watch some yeah, of them. It was really inform- informative, you know, and and very relevant at the time, since camping was about the only thing people could do. So it's it for me, it's been perfect timing to go digital because, like last year, because of COVID, people were cutting their bills down. People were really gravitating towards outdoor themed TV, fishing, hunting, camping, hiking, adventure. and uh and carbon TV has just exploded with people. It's a free It's a free platform. Um, if you've got Roku or fire stick you can or a smart tv you can cast it right to your tv if that's how you like to watch you can download the free app on your phone and not only that like i can't tell you how many times in the last decade i'd run into people and they'd be like oh hey where do i catch that show the one with the triple amputee that amazing marine you know and it stinks because i'd have to say well all my old shows that were on Skullbound are on my outdoor TV, which they still are all nine seasons, but that's another bill. People need to pay. That's another subscription based, you know, outdoor streaming platform, whereas carbon was really free. And it's super fun to just text people a link and say, here, watch it. It's free. It's never going to be, they're never going to charge and they're owned by hunters. You know, I had thought about maybe expanding my YouTube channel, and then I was, uh, I was just seeing the big, you know, the big eyeball that's marked off, you know, especially I'm a huge predator hunter. I've got a mountain lion behind me. I'm bear, I, I hunt bear more than any other big game species. I hunt tons of coyotes. Like I was just seeing that, you know, warning label on YouTube. Plus um, a friend of mine who's a gun attorney was getting her videos taken down. And I thought, I do not want to, put all my eggs in one basket and go the YouTube route and have those videos taken down. Especially, so that's why I chose carbon.
1: Especially if yeah. they have big, scary handguns, right? I mean, oh yeah. that's, that's yeah. something that just, uh...
2: <laughs> it does freak people out, doesn't it? They're like, Oh, oh my yeah. gosh, a girl, a girl hunting with a handgun that we're going to censor that, you know, like, and uh, I love that carbon will never be censored. will never stands very tall behind you know, there's even how to trapping videos on there. You know, just about our auto, our our outdoor lifestyle, and uh, it's been a really good move for me. Um, my numbers now that I've been on two and a half years on carbon are just as big as they were ever on the network TV. Because when people find you, then they go back and they can watch all your old stuff, and you know, it's just uh, it's been a really good move for me. And The ease of it has been fantastic.
1: I think, yeah, it's really cool. And I've said it like a bunch of times to a lot of people, but I felt like the reason I stopped watching, and not necessarily like your episode was one, it just happened to be one of the last ones I was watching, but you watch all these people and they just become shooters, right? They're straight up killers on there. They show four deer dying in a single episode. They don't show any of the work that's been put into it. They don't show any of these other things. And it became very stagnant. And to me, I was like, yeah, that's cool. But is it reality? And then you ended up having like the YouTube revolution to where there was guys like the hunting public that were doing their thing. And it was just, it was something new and it was fresh. And I think it really caught on. And then, you know, you start to see the shift <clears throat> within the industry and and it's pretty cool to to see that shift and how people are adapting. And the ones that are adapting and doing that are the people that kind of realize that things sometimes do need to change and turn. And it's kinda of cool to watch that you did that and, you know, the whole uh carbon TV thing kinda of went along with that. And then yeah. it, you know, it... and you get like even like Base Map TV. So it's a bunch of episodes from people that are actually, you know, ambassadors or something like that from Base Map doing all those different episodes. And they're not real long. Some of them are only like twelve minutes, but it's neat to just see other people, real people in their hunts. It's pretty cool.
2: Oh yeah. And definitely like I started so it's always been sort of a long-standing joke is how much I hate technology and I hate cameras <laughs> and I hate this, but I actually started filming some of my own episodes and it's funny because those have just as many views as some of the episodes that are filmed by like, you know, my camera, a couple of cameramen I have that are just amazing shooters because it's still really real, you know, you when when you're walking around with a GoPro and you know I typically use a Sony a Z90 handheld camera, GoPro, and a pocket cam, a DJI pocket cam. And between those three, uh, just an episode I released, was it last month or two months ago, was an Alaska adventure where I shot a black bear with a handgun. My boyfriend, John, and I were hunting bears in Alaska. We filmed it ourselves, and I think it turned out great. Now, that keep that keep keeping that in mind, my editor, Heath, is amazing. Like, if he can turn my footage into something worth watching, yeah, he's pretty amazing. But <laughs> it, like you said, though, it doesn't have to be this amazingly produced cinematography to really capture your attention and keep it real. And it's always been super important for me to keep it real. I'm definitely not a trophy hunter. I would not say, I mean, I've been blessed with some beautiful animals. I'm not out to get the biggest bull, the biggest buck. Um, I, I want to show, I show a lot of public land hunting um, to me. Uh, you know, uh, a 170 muleys, a great bu- buck for public land. And I'm not out trying to break that 200 inch mark and trying to keep it real as possible. And uh, hopefully encourage other ladies, kids, other guys who are like, well, I never thought of hunting with a handgun, or I never thought of just picking a place on, on a map and going. And I try to keep it super real and accessible that the, I don't go on you know, these $20,000 elk hunts, you know, I, I don't do that kind of hunt. Um, it's not accessible. It's uh, not in my pocketbook. And <laughs> I don't think it's as relatable to people. You know, I think people want to see where you're going and see that that might be a possibility for them.
1: No, absolutely. So now that you mentioned it, let's kind of transition to that. What was the, like the driving force between like behind the whole handgun hunting, um, especially your choice of handgun, like. I mean, <laughs> freaking Desert Eagle. Like, where does that come yeah. into play versus a like uh, well, a 454? When know? I
2: start, so the first time I ever went hand, handgun hunting was I had a Glock 10. And the reason I, so I never shot handguns until I moved out west, even for personal protection. I never had a handgun. I never carried a handgun and started honestly having carrying a handgun primarily for bears. I live in Montana. I, I've had a lot of grizzly encounters, nothing dangerous. I filmed across the hillside. I can't even say it without laughing, mating grizzlies for seven hours a few years ago. <laughs> that's, that's a carbon GB episode. That's showing up, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pretty important. Um, but like, yeah, there. I really believe you can run into grizzlies anywhere in Montana now. I mean, just the fact that we haven't had a hunting season forever. And, uh, I have ran into them right outside Missoula, Montana. And so I started carrying a handgun for that reason. But then I I thought how fun it would be to try to hunt with one, And uh, I had the first pistol I ever hunted with was a Glock 10 millimeter, went to Texas, killed some hogs. And then I was introduced to Magnum Research. And they are the ones who have the, you can't even (laughs) say it without laughing, can you? The beast of a handgun, the Desert Eagle. 429 that thing is a beast <laughs> now mind you i could be hunting with the 50 cal if i really wanted to step up my game but the 429 is definitely enough for me but i do a ton of bear hunting so and i run I, like montana spot and stock, but i run my own baits in idaho i just got back from alaska i hunted utah this this year i had four bear tags in my pocket this spring and i want you don't want you always in my opinion you always want more you know gun power than 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 right the opposite of the spectrum you know yeah i mean you, you want some knockdown power and uh so and this gun is the gun i shoot is just so beautiful like i have to laugh every time i think about it outlaw ordinance is actually the company that engraved it for me and put every single so when we we're talking about ideas to put on this pistol now mind you that's how big the pistol is it has like what eight different engravings on it because it's so big <laughs> but they said what do you want to put on it and i'm like oh i don't know i love black bears and bulls and maybe a big buck or I love, you know, fly fishing pike on a fly rod and mountain lion. Well, little did I know they took every idea and put it on this gun. And at first I was like, whoa, like that's super busy and (laughs) holy cow. And then I'm like, I love it. It's literally everything I love. It's got my slogan. It's about living on there. It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of art. But I've not six tags with it, so it's, it's actually been quite, uh, quite the weapon.
1: So what do you think about um, other people that might discourage or not want handgun hunting because they think it's unethical or, you know, inhumane or something like that, that people shouldn't even well, have handguns in the woods, right? Like, <laughs>
2: if that's the case, then they might as well want to get rid of every weapon, you know, I mean, because really it's, yeah, that's for sure. Um, it's very comparable to bow hunting and I've, I've been bow hunting longer than any other weapon. Um, well, that's kind of true. Now I, I, I did a lot of bird hunting when I was a kid in Wisconsin, uh, pheasants and geese and such, but, um, I actually picked up a bow when I was a freshman in college at UW whitewater and started bow hunting the following year after that. And, Literally 30 years ago, I've been bow hunting my whole life, you know, and I love bow hunting. It's it's one of my truest passions. When I moved out west, I started to get into long range rifle hunting, and um, you know, when you're hunting the mountains, sometimes you know, three four hundred yards is as close as you're going to get, and you I you know you want it to be a one shot kill and no how. So I trained a lot with um, Nemo Arms up in Kalispell, and just got super comfortable in the long range side of things. And then introduced to Magnum, well, actually had my Glock, but then introduced to Magnum. And it's just actually one more fun thing to do. I mean, I've the only thing I've never done is really hunted with a crossbow, um, but everything else. And the handgun thing to me, it keeps me proficient in shooting. You know, I carry a gun with me at all times. There's one in my truck, one in my purse, one by my bed, one by the front door. I have, I have them all over. Um, but it keeps me proficient in shooting. It's super fun and challenging. I mean, to me, it's about the same distance I need to be for bow range as I do for handgun hunting. Um, I've hunted mountain lion, bear. I got a turkey in Texas. There's not a lot of states you can handgun (laughs) turkey. Thankfully, you got to love Texas. You can do anything in Texas. Uh, (laughs) Javelina, hog. um, And so, yeah, it's been been super fun. And I hope to do more of it. How much meat was left on the turkey? (laughs) That's what's funny too is be, I, I have to admit I <laughs> was, was it a headshot head at least? <laughs> no, it was body, but it didn't. It did not create any more damage than a broadhead would. I've got pictures of it if you want yeah. to see. No, I, mean, I believe it. <laughs> it's not. See, it's not like it blows the bird in half. But I do have to tell you, I wasn't sure what would happen. Like so, I've hunted. I previously hunted mountain lion and bear and hog and javelina with this handgun and it's a heavy load. I'm shooting a 240 grain bullet out of this 429. And, but at, I mean, the Turkey was like 23 yards, I think. And I just don't even think with a Turkey being so such soft meated creature, it didn't even expand a whole lot. It really did not damage that. Probably turkey just blew anymore. through. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, any yeah. more than a broadhead, yeah. but you know, you get the keyboard warriors. Oh, like, you know, who love to spout off and, you know, love to say like, what well, was there? One bite left. Da, 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 da. You know, it's like I uh, you. no matter what, the one thing I do tell a lot of people who um, are thinking of either starting a show or even starting hunting and they're afraid of social media and this and that, you've just got to get thick skin. There's always <laughs> somebody out there who's going to critique you, criticize you, especially the women. They think, you know, women are easy targets and it comes with the territory. You've got to just you know, know your stuff, back up what you have to say and uh, not let the negativity get to you.
1: So let's get into that a little bit then, because I find that. So what's the one thing that got to you the most? The thing that like either cut you the deepest or or somebody said or, or did as far as like social media or even in person at some point throughout your career?
2: Um, I can. That's an easy one for me because it happened early on in my career. It was set the second year of Skullbound, I think, second or third, and um, this guy started just ruthlessly attacking me on social media. Started on Facebook, and he start and now that I look back on it, it was an incredible learning experience. I've talked on a lot of other podcasts and seminars about this to help people maybe if they encounter something like this, but what the antis do is they will contact you and write you a note or a letter. I like how this guy started. John Wilkins was his name from (laughs) Oklahoma. I'll never forget. He started and he wrote me a letter. I'm an old school hunter and I watched your show the other day. And I think you shot that buck in low light. And I answered him, uh, thank you for tuning in. You know, of course I didn't shoot the buck. I've got a camera behind my shoulder. Um, I could tell you exactly what time it was. It was in full legal light, da, da, da. Well, then once you respond, then he starts going. And, and then he starts saying, you know, calling me every name under the sun and that I'm unethical. And I, I also saw you, shoot and miss a bear um, in Montana. And I believe that bear went on to attack a veterinarian that like just crazy off the wall stuff. I can deal with that. What, what stung me the most is he was literally going onto my, my partner's pages and saying, she's unethical. She's this, she's that she's um, you know, I don't think she's good representation that well, it turns out I hired a bulldog attorney out of Missoula who was, who hired a former FBI guy who was able to crawl this guy's computer, found out he's head of one of the anti hunting groups. <laughs> he, oh, yeah, like he's a big, a big problem with the network. They'd heard of him, they had blocked him on their social. He, this is what he does, is just create problems for people. He's not an old school hunter. He doesn't, he just, you know, got me to engage with him like that. But my point being, the best advice I could give anybody is if, if, People are being jerks and their number one, their name calling Uh, the C word or the B word are the two biggest, but like, you know, their name calling or they're, you know, saying you're unethical or you're this or that, just block them, block them, ban (laughs) them, erase their comments. It's the easiest thing. Now, if they, if they pose a question, like, I think that's disgusting. Why do you hunt bear? Well, then I'm going to dialogue with them and I'm going to try to explain predator management and the need and why I love to hunt bear and why I, you know, it's my favorite wild game meat and all this stuff. But if they just start out with being rude or crude or calling you names, it's so not worth it to engage. And you just ban them, block them and delete their comments.
1: (laughs) So like I had my first case of like actual, like pretty hard trolling on a post that I did and I posted a deer. It wasn't even a grip and grin or anything because I just wanted to show like the, the beautiful scenery and everything around this deer and it laying there and just everything about it was just amazing that morning. And I wanted to try and share that with people and just capture that moment. So I did that. And I wrote up a long thing about like the work that went into it that people won't see, but you know, everything that happened that morning and just how it's not only an adventure, but it's a spiritual adventure and, and you know, to cleanse your soul and make you feel alive and make you feel things that you've never understood before. and all of a sudden just a bunch of attacks came in and then these the persons you know friends would attack and my wife was the one who actually looked them up i didn't care it didn't bother me but i would comment yeah. and chime in and just be like you know actually it wasn't a bow or actually it wasn't a gun i didn't blow a hole in it with a gun and shoot its head off or whatever you're saying i shot it with a bow and arrow if you must know it took about 20 steps and toppled over that was it you know just actually telling them the truth right and then it got to the point where it's like, you know, oh, yeah, cleanse your soul, different things like that, and sort of going on and on. And, and I kind of ignored it, but my wife was bothered by it. And she was like, this, these people are just rude. Like, why are they doing this to you? And I'm like, I don't really care. It doesn't bother me. But then I came back on the comments and I said, you know, if you would like to understand why I hunt, I actually have a podcast. You can come on as a guest, talk your viewpoint, and I will talk mine, and we'll try and shed light on the subject together nothing after that just i would fricking. guess no one
2: has ever been taking you up on that offer um <laughs> no and the the sad thing is most i would say 95 percent of them have no interest in hearing your point of view they don't <laughs> they don't want to understand what it is that you're trying to you know promote through your picture what you're trying to explain the beauty of the of you know that mother nature is spiritual healing and that we You know, that there's nothing better than clean organic meat that we are actually through, you know, through our hunters dollars. People don't understand. We're the ones paying for wildlife management in this country when, (laughs) you know, for example, here in Montana, the herd of sheep have to get put down because they've contracted pneumonia. It's hunters' dollars that reinstate that herd of sheep. It's hunters' dollars that are out there studying chronic wasting disease. It's hunters' dollars that are releasing turkeys into, you know, areas where maybe they, they've they had heavy predation or hard winters. And people just, and it's hunters' dollars that are paying for, what you know, uh, wardens' salaries and biologists. And they just don't understand that every time we purchase a license, every time we buy a tag or... Every time a duck stamp or even ammunition, guns, archery equipment, those that's taxed. And that incise tax goes into each state's pool to wa- manage wildlife. And people just don't understand that it's really, it's really, unfortunately, a missed message on a lot of hunting shows. And then, of course, the mainstream public doesn't typically watch hunting shows, so they're not going to understand why we're all out there. I mean, I think social media does um, to a big extent, um, friends of friends, you know, so to speak, on Facebook and such, but still there's a lot. I think we hunters we're slowly getting it, but it we haven't done the best job in terms of public relations, in terms of showing people why we love the outdoor lifestyle. And I I I have tons of grip and grit. I have nothing against the grip and grin photos. To me, if someone says, how dare you grab that buck and <laughs> smile so big after you just took its life? Well, then I'm going to explain to them the reason the smile is all the hard work that went into that buck. I mean, for 20 years before Skullbound, I hunted my dad's place in Wisconsin and I hung my own tree stands and scouted and, you know, did, did the work and field dressed it and, you know, ate on that deer all winter long and it's just something people, a, a lot of non-hunters who've never grown up in a family understand. And uh, hopefully, we're slowly getting the word out, but we, we could even do a much, much better job.
1: So speaking of that and much better job, what do you think we can do, should do? What are you trying to do?
2: I'm trying to show the world through Skullbound, through my social media, that we hunters are the greatest stewards of the land we in fact jack Hanna, who everybody knows jungle jack hannah i mean he's saturday mornings on all mainstream tv he's, he actually lives in montana even though he's the curator of the ohio zoo he has a place in montana i've been to his house a couple of different times for fundraisers jack Hanna himself said hunters are the greatest conservationists in this country and that's what i'm trying to show people i'm trying to show people that i hunt but i'm an animal lover that I have more respect for the land. And there, in the, in the immortal words of John Bear, there are animals because we hunt animals and show people that cycle, if you will, that, that, that process of hunters protecting the animals so that there's sustainability for generations to come.
1: No, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the, the model of conservation and hunters, actually effectively managing the wildlife is why all these people that are non-hunters get to go out in the wilderness and hike and see all these animals it's because of us yeah. we're the ones who brought them back we're the ones who effectively manage the population so we can sustain healthy herds it's huge that is like one of the biggest things and <clears throat> i think it's great that you know people are trying to put it out there so the reason i did that picture wasn't because of the grip and grin or anything like that i just wanted to show like the beauty of it as i walked up on it was just it was amazing the whole morning was yeah was just everything about it went together so perfectly that it's i mean it's vivid in my mind to this very moment as i talk about it i can still smell the leaves i can still just visualize the steam coming up off the water that morning and everything that happened after that and up to that point including the work, dragging it out and the smile on my face. And that will never go away ever.
2: I don't, I don't really (laughs) think about it. I don't know anything else in life that delivers such a dichotomy of emotions like hunting does. Um, I really don't like some people have argued that with me and said, well, athletics and maybe, I mean, eh, eh, I mean, (laughs) yes. And yes. And no, I mean, I've only ever, you know, um, been in high school sports, but, um, I still don't think it delivers the kind of emotions or the, or the level of the different emotions that hunting creates, including, um, the peace of mind. You know, I think it's such a big, big piece of it. That's really hard to describe is the peace of mind of being in nature, of being camouflaged, whether you're sitting in a tree stand or a ground blind, or you're spot and stalking the lodgepoles of the west of being out in nature and how truly healing that is for all of our souls I think we live in the craziest time ever right now like it's just not natural you know I really believe that as great the internet is and here we're zoom calling right and like you know as great as technology is I think it's counterintuitive to human beings. I think that we are supposed to be out in nature. I think we're supposed to have face-to-face connections with people. I think we're supposed to live off the land. I feel like you know, nothing makes me feel more grounded than when I'm in, on a hunt, than when I'm in the woods or when I'm in the mountains. And I feel bad for people who don't understand that mix of emotions that comes with it and it it can be difficult to describe to people um you know especially when global hollywood or mainstream media portrays us to be these you know hillbillies shooting from the pickup trucks with a wad of chewing our our lower (laughs) lip and you know drinking beer and like you know that were like you said earlier trigger pullers and it just couldn't be any farther from the truth but i do think that if there's anything that's, that's beautiful about social media. It's that at least we can, you know, try to convince and communicate the sad thing and the frustrating thing, thing for me. And it's been so frustrating for me lately is that we're being censored, not just because I might be holding up a monster handgun in my pictures, or I'm, you know, taking a life, but because there's social media is so controlled by people who don't support guns they don't support hunting now all of a sudden in the last year they don't support ranching uh all of a sudden we're supposed to limit the hamburgers we eat as a nation like for crying they don't support even you know your right natural... to free
1: breathing air yeah <laughs> yeah ridiculous. and so
2: none of us all of us hunters need to be incredibly concerned about the fact that social media is not our friends And as much as, yeah, we're still out there now and putting stuff out. I get my stuff taken down all the time. I get it taken down. I get it shadow banned all the time. Ever since I was verified, I swear to God, I'm put on this list and my stuff doesn't circulate half as much as it used to. And I feel like it's going to happen to all of us. And it's really scary. And, uh, Right now, yeah, we can still tell our story through social media, but we need to tell it in other, other ways as well. You know, whether it's TV, whether it's podcasts, um, you just it's hard to reach. So, I, so one time, not too long ago, I was at a meeting with a bunch of people from the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and Shane Mahoney was there, who's a, a very well-known conservationist and he just said something in that lunch that just has resonated with me for the last couple of years. And that is, we're never going to reach the anti-hunters. We're not going to reach the people who are vehemently against hunting. We need to reach the 80 to 90% of people that don't hunt, but they, they're not against it. They're not necessarily for it. They don't really know what it entails. That's the people we need to reach. And it's going to be hard to do that without social media.
1: No, I totally agree. I think like, and and back to what you said about like, just even the, the whole disconnect and everything these days is so weird and strange. and, And, and it's, I mean, if you think about it, what we did was hunting, was foraging. It was all these things that bring you closer to the earth. You were part of the landscape. And now we're not. We create this this fake facade of a landscape and we're just, we're there, we're existing in it. And the true one is in the background. It's in the backdrop, nature. And only some of us realize and we take that moment to actually go into it, immerse ourselves in it and enjoy it. And and then tying that back to the other, it's conservation is like Johnny Mac says, mentorship through cons- you know conservation is mentorship. And so yep. being able to just, reach those people and take them out, whether it's, I mean, I've even thought about maybe even putting like an ad in the newspaper and saying, you know, hunting buddy wanted, you know, no experience necessary, something just to try and see if you could get somebody and reach somebody and connect to them. And I've, I've done it to people at work. I've done it to people everywhere. I'm like, Hey man, did you ever think about this? Like, I know you've kind of talked about it and you know, you like guns and this and that, but have you ever taken it to the next level and actually wanted to go out and hunt? And they're like, well, you know, I want to, but where do I start? And it's like right there, just by that conversation you had, you spark that interest and you get it going. Mm-hmm. And that like that excites me and makes me want to just like keep doing it more and more and more. And the more people you talk to and the more people you do it, you realize it's not that hard. It's just a conversation. And then you see right. where it takes you. But yeah, censorship is real. It's real oh, and it's yeah. getting hard. And it's not only censorship of that. It's censorship of rights. It's censorship of beliefs. It's everything, which makes me wonder like, what do you think, like, the history of hunting is going to be, especially if we don't stand up with our voices, especially like the petition that was just put on uh, President Biden's desk um, about the whole interstate uh, transport? Banning, yep, of banning
2: imports. Yep. Um, I don't know. I I can't say about, I can't, I don't know. I'm very concerned. Um, You know, I was on the federal hunting and shooting sports conservation council before this last election. And um, (laughs) it was a very big honor to be on that panel with head of forest service, head of BLM, a lot of the heads of conservation groups. And, you know, and, and, and it was because then secretary Ryan Zinke saw the need to pool all these people together to protect our hunting heritage, to make it a staple in this country and um, and at least have people understand it better. And I have not heard, I'm assuming that that whole uh, council is going to be just dismantled, but I'm very concerned. I think that, uh, yeah, I'm concerned of the censorship and what that means to us hunters and, anglers and trappers and, you know, outdoor lifestyle people, because if it continues the way it's going right now, we aren't, we aren't going to have um, the eyeballs. We're simply not going to be able to reach those friends of friends. Like we talked about, I think it's extremely important um, for everybody to get involved, at least on a local level, whether it's in the conservation groups, you know, go attend a Mule Deer Foundation banquet, go to a Turkey Federation fundraiser. Um, there, no matter what, I guarantee there's one in your area with all the conservation groups. I think I belong to seven different conservation <laughs> groups and there's always something going on. You know, well, get, get involved, belong to those groups. A- and then once you are involved, ask your neighbors to go with you. You know, and it's it's a great way to introduce the kind of work that our hunters dollars go towards. Uh, habitat improvement, putting in water troughs, taking down old fence barriers to that are going to impede the mule deer, for example, you know, there's so many different projects that you can get involved in that are that really trickle back and and show people that those are funded by hunters dollars. And uh, I don't know when it comes to social media, I don't have the answers. I don't know what's going to happen. It does concern me. Um, But all we can do is just keep trudging forward. I think we can Continue to put the messages out there about our lifestyle and about how healthy healthy herds come from hunters, and that's from you know taking a certain number out of the herds every year. And when I say herds, I don't care if we're talking whitetail, elk, deer, antelope, moose, whatever. Um, you know, healthy management of those herds. I think that uh, get involved on the local level, and then you know, standing tall. Um, Standing tall as hunters, teaching your kids to be proud hunters, teaching your kids to go to school and tell the stories of their of the weekend that they spent in the woods or the mountains and, and to maybe help arm your kids with some little sound bites that they can tell their friends if their friends go, oh, that's gross. I would never hunt, whatever. Well, really, we're anim- hunters are animal lovers, and it's because of us that the herds are healthy. Yep. You know, you teach your kids how to talk about hunting in a positive light and what that means to them. And, um, you know, there's, there's things we can all do on a personal level, but this whole era that we live in right now, it stresses me out. It's scary to me.
1: <laughs> so what are you, what are you doing then to, to, uh, kind of just hunt more? to try and relieve that yeah, stress harder, you know what I mean?
2: yeah <laughs> no really what i do well it's kind of funny like people would probably love the antis would love to make stop us but really it just fuels us more because we just get stressed out and then have an urge to go back into nature um i i hunt nonstop anyway whether last weekend i was coyote hunting um i'm you know gearing up for this fall which is back to back to back hunts um i what am I doing to combat the stress of social media? Is that your question?
1: <laughs> no, it was um, just combat oh. the stress of the entire era in which we are existing. Oh yeah, we live
2: in yeah, yeah politically, uh, health wise. Um, I don't know. More you know, it's fu-
1: yeah, <laughs> exercise. It's funny.
2: Right? It, yeah, it's funny. I uh, I listen to tons of podcasts and a lot of health podcasts. I like. It depends on the mood I'm in. I do listen to tons of crime podcasts, health podcasts alien podcast uh joe rogan of course but um the one common theme in all the health podcasts i've been listening to lately has been how important it is for people to de-stress and right now with this crazy covid world we live in and the political arena that we live in and the, you know i don't know about you but defund the police is the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard my neighbors are police officers my friends are like I, it's a crazy world that we live in right now. And it's just important every day to take a little bit of time to de-stress to almost, whether it's, whether you're a religious or spiritual person to give it over to God and just say, Hey, this crazy world we live in, we need your help now more than ever. Whether it's to me, this is going to sound corny, but like, um, I'm almost excited that the temperature is cooling down here in Montana because my de-stressor is a bubble bath every single night, like a 10 minute lavender. <laughs> just seriously, <laughs> it sounds so corny, but Kelgon, take me away. I like a bubble bath is like that, or even, um, you know, meditation or even grounding, walking outside in your bare feet Barefoot. and just feel it. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Feeling the grass between your toes. You know, I, right now I'm looking out my windows at the Bitterroot Mountains. A lot of times I just, in the evening, I'll sit out on my deck and just You know, no phone, no nothing, and stare at the mountains and just really be great. To me, the number one key to de stressing is to just focus on gratitude. Like, what am I grateful for? And there's so much to be grateful for. But when you are feeling stressed out and you do, whether it's sitting in the tub or looking at the mountains or taking a walk through the woods, if you can tell yourself, okay, what are the five things I'm grateful for today? That kind of changes your mind and your mood into gratitude. Okay. I'm really happy that I have my health. I'm so grateful that I have my health. I'm grateful that I have a home that has really good energy in it. Like I live alone. Well, I have a roommate, Laura, who's, she's a crazy girl. She's over, (laughs) she's, she travels as much as I do, but like, but our home is literally filled with what we love. Like I'm looking at a dozen Wall mounts, you know, in my living room that make me—I literally still every night I look at them and I think about the adventures and I think about the adventures to come in the fall. You know, I—I—I I, I, I have created my home where it's very, um, it's very me, and so it's very comfortable. It's got really good energy, and uh, I think it's just important for people to have gratitude in their lives. I'm really grateful for my family. I'm—I'm, I'm, you know, grateful for. Um, you know, John, my boyfriend, who's an incredible man in my life. Like just that gratitude to me is the best de-stressor of all.
1: Absolutely. No. And like what you said, like the grounding and all that kind of stuff, so many people, and it goes back to that whole disconnect, don't have that. And they wonder why everything is in shambles around them, their life, their stress, their energy, everything is off on top of most people don't have God in their life, especially, I mean, just and and if you're not a religious person, that's fine, but you need to find something, something to believe in and a reason to exist. And hey, hunting does that for a lot of people, but I can tell you right now, for me, looking at the landscape, like you were talking about sitting on your deck and just God painted that and made that beautiful picture. How can you not be grateful for something like that? It's truly magnificent. And, and, and to make me think like, oh, you know, this or that or whatever And, you know, there's so much hate going on, but without love, you know, give love, give understanding and respect. And, and just, you know, you can get that back. You're talking about defunding the police. I mean, here in Chicago, we just had a, a Chicago cop that was a female. I mean, just came back from maternity leave. That child now no longer has a mother. Now I understand that that happens like every day in different aspects of life, but some animal that would do that that's so much disrespect and no love and yep. somehow we need to give enough love back to where those other people they can realize and i mean see their flaws and it's it's crazy it's absolutely crazy
2: it is we live in the craziest <clears throat> time right now even now versus 2 years ago it's just crazy to me i do i do like what you said though uh definitely we need to give i think everybody deserves love and respect and um you know it's see and I, I, I once again blame the internet, but like people don't even know how to communicate anymore. No. There's nothing wrong with having different opinions and we should be able to communicate those opinions. Well you know it's pretty rare for me to meet an anti and have a civil conversation with them. I mean when I do meet them they're typically on social media but even back and forth, once in a while, it happens. Once in a while, I'll have really interesting, respectful dialogue where they just didn't know, like, oh, mountain lions, they're, they're abundant. I thought they were endangered. No, 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 <laughs> Like I live in the Bitterroot. And then, you know, I'll start talking about the mountain lion study that went on and uh, predation and all that kind of thing. But I, I just, it seems to me, um, I think we could sit back and blame tons of things, but all we can really do is control ourselves. And, um, it's a good reminder, what you just said to give people the benefit of the doubt, give them love, give them respect. And hopefully, um, when you meet somebody who, since we're talking about hunting today, who doesn't hunt, hopefully you can, and maybe is against it or doesn't believe in it. Hopefully you can have a respectful conversation with them to maybe plant a seed and have them think change their paradigm a little bit about it.
1: Absolutely. And the the thing is, is I don't want people to think exactly like me. I want people to be different. I want to have, you can have an adversity of thought, but as long as we can sit down and we can be civil and we can talk about it and not yell and be so polarized and two, two parties or two groups and that's it, I want that diversity of thought because that's what brings innovation that's what brings change but we have to be yep. able to sit down and actually talk about it and not just scream right. it and stand up on a soapbox and yell at people and not have an open mind to to other things and that 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 scares me that that's no longer an an option to be on the table to sit down and actually civilly talk that that's yeah, what worries Yeah defi-
2: it's definitely not the norm. Yeah. 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 It worry. it worries me too it really does.
1: So Recently, I had something happen to me, and I want to kind of get your thoughts on it. And if something's happened like that to you, how you handled it and how did it affect you? And it was, I posted a picture of something, and it was a product. And somebody said, must be nice. They commented, <laughs> must be nice, right? Yep. And, and my only comments was, hashtag hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard and earned not given that was it I like it and that was all i I did and and it stopped them dead in their tracks and nothing else was said. but Uh i'm sure you've had that and had that happen to you how did you handle it and would you have handled it differently now than then or would it be the same
2: um i have had that quite a bit especially in the beginning of um you know the start of Skullbound, where people see you maybe hunting at an outfitters or you're with your you know new gun or new bow or whatever the must be nice syndrome um yeah i really don't even respond to it anymore and it's not and it's funny if people are rude to me i have no problem blocking and banning them i i didn't do that in the beginning but oh in the last probably eight out of ten years the last time I looked, I had over 4,000 people <laughs> blocked on Facebook, <laughs> but that's typically because they called me a B word or C word. Um, but like the must be nicers, I, I typically don't, I wouldn't block something like that, but I, I, I have in the last couple of years handled it to where I just don't even respond. I think those kind of, first of all, I've never had it from a woman. So when I say guys, it's guys. Um, those type of guys who say that, the must be nicers um you're not I love your response, I think it's perfect. um I'm not probably going to change their mind if i it almost looks worse if I try to go into all the hard work that has gone into my career like and and the fact that I had twenty years of a career outside sales, you know, pounding the pavement. I worked in an Edward Jones office for 10 years, you know, a nine to five or kind of thing. I put my time in. And then when it comes to hunting, I've been hunting for over 30 years, big game, you know, birds. I, that's when I was a child, but like, but big game hunting for over 30 years, I believe I've earned it. I've put my time in. I, uh, I do a lot of public land hunting. I do, but if you start going into all of that, they're not going to listen. Then you kind of almost sound like the whiny crybaby. <laughs> I think the best way to handle the must be nicers is to simply just erase their comments. I mean, if they get if they get supercharged, I might go after them a little bit. I try really hard to not be reactive. Like my first, I'm a I'm a right fighter. So like my first reaction is, oh yeah, well, you know, and I. Gotta take a deep breath and just relax and not get all ticked off that someone's being rude, and and now in the last couple of years, the thing I probably do the most is just erase rude comments like that.
1: So, here's my thoughts on this. I believe that if somebody can sit there and say it must be nice, it's jealousy. One, you're doing something right. One hundred percent. And yep. two. They lack the motivation and the fortitude to get up and do something and do something for themselves to better themselves. So instead, they'd rather sit in a pit of misery and not want to do anything for themselves and look at everybody else. But the truth of the matter is, is the only person that's going to motivate you is yourself. So with that being said now, I got to ask you this. What drives you? What makes you want to get up every day and do everything you do?
2: Um, that's a really, really good question. I would say the thing that drives me the most is, um, a a feeling of responsibility. I feel like, um, I have been given a gift to be to working full-time in the hunting industry for the last decade. I do feel an incredible sense of responsibility to not only my business partners, you know, the people that have I'm really lucky. I have the most amazing partners and most of them have been with me since the get-go and since the very beginning. And uh I'm super blessed in that way, but I work for them. And but not only that on a greater on the greater scale is I have a responsibility to protect what I love and I don't know what I would do if I couldn't hunt and live off the land and spend the time I do in the mountains and um hunt and fish. And I don't know what I would do. And so I truly believe we are at risk of losing that. And we have to do everything we can to brand hunting. And I don't care if you're just a guy who loves to hunt and post a deer picture once in a while, or you're someone who's in the industry. We all have a responsibility to um, try to tell others how critical hunting is. It really is critical in this country. And unfortunately, uh, we have an administration right now that doesn't feel that way. Um, But I say the one thing that drives me is the responsibility of trying to get the messaging out there that we hunters are the greatest stewards of the land.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's great. So back to hunting and living off the land. So living off the land, I think you need to up your foraging game a little bit.
2: I definitely do. Oh yeah, well, I've been really lazy with having Laura Zara living with me. I I don't know if you know Laura. Laura, Laura, I watched her first
1: episode just the other day, but so I mean, I don't know if um, if if like she. I mean, obviously, she needs to take you out and teach you some foraging stuff, or I'm going to have to, or. At least at the very least, I'm going to I'm going (laughs) to message you and I'm going to send you some books, some 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 links to some books that are going to help you out because, (laughs) oh, she's got one.
2: (laughs) I'm looking at right now, plants of the Rocky Mountains. There you go. Very nice. It's not that the knowledge isn't right in front of me. It's like I don't have time. I can only seriously do so much. But yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I do really look forward to getting into. I forage. But I don't forage as far as like Laura. You ought to go into that girl. So Laura's cabinets, she's got homemade arnica. She's got um, (laughs) dried mushrooms. She's got, she literally goes out and collects medicinal herbs and berries and makes her own salves and that kind of thing. So collectively, let me just say that if You know, the world goes to pot like I think Laura and I will be pretty good out here because I can provide the meat and the fish and the birds, Laura can provide the medicinal, you know medicines and the side dishes. Um, She's also a big, big hunter too but. I definitely need to step up my game in my mushroom collecting and my berries and my herbs and all that. Yeah, so sure.
1: I, I messaged you after <laughs> I saw your, your post on what it was or your story or whatever, but I'm pretty sure one was a Hawkswing and the other one, they, I think they were King Boletes or, or red, red stem Boletes. So like,
2: Oh, on my mushroom.
1: Yes, definitely. Edible. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. oh like, really like, Darn it. So don't, don't take my word for that on that. Just looking at a quick glance, but like, I'm pretty sure those were edible mushrooms and they would have went good with a bear or whatever you ended up, if you would. have yeah. ended up getting that. So
2: just, well, saying. I was in Colorado and I, it was crazy. So we did like a 14 mile hike that day and there was every mushroom under the sun along this path. And it was a path that I, I don't think anyone's been on. Like, I mean, it's quite the mountain hike and very off the beaten path and literally mushrooms that looked like i was walking through like Willy Wonka or something i i mean these things were bigger than you know dinner plates and the red one with all the di- mushrooms i've never seen before so they i think like that were- one's an
1: amanita which actually but, has like medicinal and like psychedelic properties so
2: oh, wow well i should ask joe rogan <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah but yes
2: i do need to have my foraging game that's for sure
1: yeah so with that being said i just wanted to share that with you um i truly appreciate you coming on and talking to me it's been great and uh just thank you so much
2: yeah thank you this has been a lot of fun best of luck with the rest of the podcast i'm looking forward to listening to some of the other ones i was checking out today (laughs) right before our call and uh i really appreciate you having me on thank you so much
1: thank you
0: Through the Blackwater bayous, and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.